welcome our first-time guests. If you're, yeah. if you're new to Church on the Rock, uh, we want to welcome you. So glad you're with us this morning. Hope you have a great experience uh, hearing from the Lord and, and celebrating Him. If you are, if this is your first time, I just want to let you know that we have a gift for you at the information table. If you just find your way after service over there, and Lynn will give you that. It's actually a, a bag made by a ministry that we support and believe in. Uh, also, there is a, a welcome card there. If you could fill that out, uh, we would just appreciate knowing how to connect with you later on. So, welcome. Uh, my name is Skip Bowersox. I'm one of the pastors. This is Aaron Weiser, one of the pastors, and you're the one who's bringing the word today. That's right. So we're, I think this is our last Sunday in Psalms. The last Sunday in Psalms. Yeah. It's been really great. Yeah, it has. I've enjoyed stepping out of the narrative for a little bit mm-hmm. and, and being in what really is sort of a more prayerful right. uh, meditation part of Scripture. It's been good. Yeah, we kind of picked four of our, our faves yeah, or, or ones right. that we felt like uh, had a real strong message for our church. Yeah. So anyway, let me pray for you. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for Aaron. Pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through him. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that you would reveal things to us through this passage uh, that uh, are, are exactly what we needed to hear this morning. Help us to know how to apply that as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Why don't you open up to Psalms 32. What we're going to do this morning is I'm going to spend most of the time in Psalms 32, but I'm also going to reference partway through Psalms 51. Um, and the reason being is that, well, I want to add some clarity. Uh, Psalms 32 and Psalms 51, we don't know this for sure, but we're pretty sure that both of them came out of uh, the, the incident with David and Bathsheba which we, we typically, when we reference that, we're referencing the, uh, the relationship, but actually that was just the beginning. There was a whole fallout after that relationship that included essentially murder and cover-up. And Psalms 51, we know that David wrote after that event. Psalms 32, we're suspicious that he wrote after that event because it has some real similar themes and it was written by David. Uh, so... Uh, what we're going to look at is essentially a, a story this morning of a man with a secret that was making his life miserable. Now, just to put everyone at ease, how many of you have ever been miserable because of a secret? Okay, most of you. Wait, a couple of our elders. We should talk later. I think that this is particularly relevant for us now living in the uh, technological age. The technological age has produced a lot of things that are new, but one of the things that it has produced, uh, which is new, is an endless, uh, sort of endless possibilities for anonymity. In other words, we can live a certain kind of life in secret because of technologies that it was not possible to live in exactly that way just a few years ago. So there's this whole virtual world now uh, that has really sort of heightened the reality um, of our own capacity to live a life in secret and the consequences of that. The thing I like about the Psalms is that they're essentially 
uh, infomercials produced by those who have walked through these things, who have wrestled with these issues and come to some conclusions. I always thought it odd that we use actors for infomercials. Let's pick the people who are professional fakers and pay them to pretend they're enjoying our product. David has real life experience. He has walked through the agony that he's going to describe and so has wisdom to offer. So we're just going to jump right in um, and kind of make our way through Psalms 32. You ready? Oh, you better get ready. Psalm 32, a psalm of David, a maskil, which is important because these are written for music, and we don't have the music today, so to kind of get the feel of it, it's important that you know that it's a maskil. It's not a dirge. It's not a ditty. It's not a ballad. It's not a jingle. It's a maskil. So as we're going through this psalm, the tune that should be in your mind should be that of a maskil. Oh. How blessed is he? Some of you are still stuck. I don't know what a maskil is. I have no idea. But the author wanted us to know that that's what this song is. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Uh, much like Psalm 73, I really appreciate the beginning of Psalms 32. It's, this is the equivalent of when you receive that phone call, and the first thing the person says is, before I tell you what happened, I want you to know everybody's okay. Now, when someone says it on the phone, you know they're about to tell you something bad, right? So I just want to set you at ease. Before I tell you the bad stuff, I want you to know I'm fine. I'm in the ER, but I'm okay. My leg is broken, but only in one spot. So David begins by saying, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So he's letting you know, before we get into this, I want you to know that I'm walking in forgiveness that my sin has been covered, that I'm walking in the blessing of the Lord who does not hold me accountable, does not impute iniquity, it has not been held to my account, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And here we go, the main theme of Psalms 32. When I kept silent about my sin... My body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. Now, this psalm uses the term Selah a few times. Uh, this term... Uh, we don't exactly know what it means, uh, but it's, a, it's definitely a point of transition uh, in the song. Oftentimes, there's sort of a, a change of direction or a change of attitude. I read an article recently that suggested that it was a, uh, an electric guitar solo uh, in the middle of the song. Either way, it's a stopping point. 
So we know that David was keeping a secret, and he lists here four symptoms of his secret keeping. Number one, he says, my body wasted away. So the first symptom is that his physical health was deteriorating. Um, this, I mean, there's, there's a number of possible explanations. Maybe he was, maybe his blood pressure went up. Uh, maybe he was getting the shakes. Maybe, who knows? Uh, what we do know, and actually there's been a number of studies done on this. In fact, they're published on places like Mayo Clinic, uh, Mayo Clinic website, Psychology Today, that have shown that there are actual physical symptoms connected to the keeping of secrets or the maintaining uh, of secrets over time. Specifically, secrets that we have to actively maintain. In other words, uh, we think about keeping them secret over time. That produces a set of physical symptoms. David says, my body was wasting away. I was, getting, I was uh, growing physically unhealthy, maybe lack of sleep. My body wasted away through my groaning all day long. That term groaning is the cry of a wretched one. So as his body is wasting away, I assume it's not an outward groaning, but inwardly he's moaning the cry of a wretched one. The third symptom, your hand was heavy upon me. The hand of God seemed to him to be pressing down on him and getting heavier and heavier. Of course, keeping things hidden that God has asked us to reveal is an active refusal in our relationship with God, which makes ongoing relationship essentially impossible. That becomes sort of the focus point of the relationship. And David describes it this way. It's as, it's as if the hand of God was continually pressing me harder and harder and harder. And then he says, lastly, my vitality was drained away. The maintenance of secrets also undermines our mental and emotional health. My vitality was drained away. My, my energy for life, my capacity to navigate my life was diminishing. My vitality drained away. So this begs a question. And I want to, uh, we're going to dive into this a little bit. I wanna, what I want to actually do is do some topical examination of what David is presenting. Uh, but this begs the question. Uh, he says, my body wasted away. I was groaning all day long. Your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was drained away. Here's the question. So then why keep it a secret? Which, if you've ever kept a secret... Um, you've asked yourself that question, would be my guess. 
why don't I just be done with this? Well, I would suggest, and these are not here in the passage, um, if I need to switch this up, let me know. I'm not sure what's going on. Put it in my back pocket. It's going to be the magic solution, I can tell. Why do we keep secrets? Number one, we keep secrets so that we can continue doing what we're doing in secret. When I was a teenager in high school, um, me and my brothers experimented on numerous occasions with various flammable substances. <laughs> Liquids and powders, trying to create different sorts of excitement. Um, just so that you know, you won't have to try this on your own, if you put flammable fluid in your hand and light it on fire and then slap your hand on your pants to put it out, you have ignited your pants. <laughs> we did all kinds of stuff. We would take rubbing alcohol and draw designs out on the patio and then light it on fire and watch the flame follow the whatever it was, the letters. None of these are advisable. We knew that. But we wanted to keep doing it. So we did it late at night when my parents were sleeping. Why do you keep secrets? So that you can continue doing what you're doing, right? Secondly, we keep secrets to avoid the consequences. And there's any number of different consequences. Maybe there are internal consequences of shame, of exposure. Maybe there are outward consequences. Things might... Uh, change in our life if we admit this or confess this. The interesting thing about that is that oftentimes it's maintaining the secret that actually increases consequences. But we rationalize and say, well, I want to avoid consequences. I don't, I don't want to get in trouble for trying to light the yard on fire, so let's keep this a secret. And then thirdly, why do we keep secrets? To protect others. Now again, I'm not, I'm not necessarily justifying this or defending this. I'm saying this is a rationalization that we use for keeping secrets, is to protect other people. I didn't want my parents to have to suffer knowing that they had raised a couple of pyromaniacs. So out of service to them and respect for them, we didn't tell them what we were doing. And now you know. We keep secrets to protect others from the truth. But let me make a small caveat here. This is not actually a psalm about secrets. Psalms 32 is not a psalm about secrets. It's a psalm about confession and our resistance to it. This goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve disobeyed, they sinned, they violated God's command, and rather than confess their sin, they covered, right? Rather than deal with it in the open, they covered. It always strikes me as odd, like, how did they envision that playing out? You know what I mean? Like, they're suddenly wearing bushes for the first time, shrubbery, and God walks in, 
leaves and says, huh, something seemed different. I can't exactly put my finger on it. No, we, we, we hide. Rather than have things put out in the open, we hide the issue. We hide the problem as a, as a way of not dealing with it because dealing with it seems to be much more difficult or more serious or more costly. And so we cover when I was a student at ABI, I was a second-year student, so I had most things figured out at that point. I was uh, at, at ABI. Uh, there is a tradition that's still standing today, to my knowledge. Tradition is, is that uh, students, um, every class day, a student gives a devotion. So a different student is on the schedule, and each day we begin the day with one of the students giving like a 10 or 15-minute devotional. Um, there was a student uh, at ABI, and some of, some of you who were there will remember him, Steve Landau. He had been my roommate the year before. Uh, he was like six foot six and never spoke. Uh, but he did for devotions. He was very quiet, very shy, very reserved personality. And he shared a devotional about, uh, essentially it was about gossip. It was about the way that we use our words that are harmful to other people. And I remember listening to that devotional and thinking to myself, I have a problem with that. Meaning, he had pinpointed, I didn't have a problem with his devotional, I had a problem with his theme, and that was an issue of using words in a way that was destructive. But it wasn't a real serious problem, just kind of a problem. And so the Holy Spirit was sort of working on my heart in regards to this, and uh, I felt like, it was, this was later that day, I felt like the Lord very specifically said, I want you to go and confess your problem to Steve Landau and have Steve Landau pray for you. Well, that would make it seem like I had a serious problem. So I explained to God, my problem is clearly not that serious, requiring that level of intervention. I'll be fine. I will confess it to you and we'll move on. And the hand of God was heavy upon me. And so later that night, this is a true story. This is where I come from. Later that night, I'm sitting uh, doing my Bible school homework, arguing with the Lord, explaining to him again and again why it was a silly request. Steve Landau was directly across the hall from my room. I did not want to go and confess a gossip problem with Steve Landau and have Steve pray for me. So after convincing the Lord that his idea was a bad one, I had kind of like moved it out of my mind and was sort of trying to finish my homework. And I realized that there was a part of my homework I didn't know how to do. And so I walked across the hall. Oh, no, sorry, back up for a second. So I had argued with the Lord until curfew. That's what happened, until curfew, which you can't go out of your room after curfew. So at 10 o'clock, well, Lord, I guess it's not happening tonight because, you know, we're supposed to be obedient to the laws of man and I can't go out of my room, so we'll talk tomorrow. 
Anyways, shortly after that, I got stuck in my homework. I walked across the hall, asked Steve Landau what we were supposed to be doing, came back to my room, I sat down at my desk and realized what I had just done. My gosh, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. Aaron, go across the hall, confess your issue, and have that guy pray for you. This is the funny thing about this. If I had a gossip issue, anyone around me already knows that. Right? It's a public issue. Like if I have a balding issue and I say, I don't want to tell anyone else about it, you would say, I think everybody knows. Right? Like we all see you on a daily basis. We know. If, I, if Aaron Weiser has a gossip issue, everybody already knows. It's not, ultimately, it's not an issue of secrets. It's our resistance to confession. Finally, begrudgingly, I broke the dorm rules. I went across the hall to Steve's room and I said, Steve, I feel like the Lord has pointed out an issue in my life connected to your devotion on gossip, and I was just wondering if you could pray for me. And Steve said, sure, God help him stop gossiping. And that was it, and I went back to my room. And there in my room that night, had one of the most significant encounters with the Lord I've ever had. Which begs the question, why do we hold on so tightly to these things? David reaches a turning point. His body is wasting away. He's groaning. The hand of God is upon him heavily. His vitality has been drained. He says in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. Now, there's a tricky little deal here in this verse, and that is that David says, I'll confess to the Lord my transgression. Now, I'm going to wander into this for a little bit, and I want to share with you some of my observations. These are coming from Aaron Weiser. I believe these are informed by wisdom. If they weren't, I would not share them with you. However... What I want to share with you now, you can go to your house church, in fact, I encourage you to, and pick this apart and wrestle with it, if it's consistent with wisdom. David is confessing to God, which for many of you currently, if you're going to be obedient to the Lord, you need to confess to more than just God. But David is not just confessing to God. David is confessing to all of us, because we're reading it. However, David never tells us in this passage what it was he was confessing, which again leads me to believe that this is not a psalm about secrets. David's not revealing his secrets. This is a psalm about confession and our resistance to it. I want to give you a couple of ways to determine if God and God alone 
is not a sufficient confessor. A confessor is the one who receives your confession. There have been times in my life where I wanted to deal with this issue privately between me and the Lord. He's much more understanding than everybody else. And yet the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me to involve someone besides just me and him. Here's some clues that maybe God is not a sufficient confessor and maybe you need someone else involved. Number one, when the nature of a particular relationship demands transparency. If you have been secretly pilfering money from your boss, you should tell your boss. There are certain relationships where there is an expectation of transparency. And sometimes the relationship itself will define whether or not you owe it to the person to share with them your sin, or you can keep it between you and the Lord. Secondly, when confession to God alone has not led to freedom, that should be a significant clue. If you have confessed this issue to the Lord over and over, and I just keep confessing, I just keep confessing, but you have not found freedom, then I would say that you have not included everyone that God wants you to include in your growth process. You need to consider including someone else in your confession. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. Involve someone else. And number three, when you have that inescapable sense that you should confess, when the Holy Spirit is just working away at you, when the hand of God is heavy upon you, I have never in my life successfully talked the Holy Spirit out of that pressure. He seems in every instance very committed once he has said you need to confess this to seeing it through and keeping his hand heavy upon me until I say okay. Because he cares about me. Because he loves me. If you have an inescapable sense that you should confess Maybe you should confess. However, keep in mind, confessions don't happen in a vacuum. A confession can introduce an indictment. If you're a man who has ever struggled with the fidelity of your eyes, and recognize this has become increasingly challenged in a sex-saturated, technologically-driven culture, if you're ever a man who has, been, who has wrestled with the fidelity of your eyes, you know that confessing that comes in some respect as an indictment, whether you want it to or not. So what you're saying is that your wife is not satisfying enough 
And whether you mean it to be an indictment or not, oftentimes in a confession, there is a hidden indictment. And so we need to exercise some caution in who we confess our issues to. I'm sure you've experienced this, someone who's confessing an issue. I just need to be honest with you. You're my friend. I spent $300 on fishing equipment. I didn't tell my wife. I just need to confess that. Because you know how controlling she is and how angry she gets and how demanding she is about how we use our money. Anyways, I just need to confess that I kept it a secret. And you leave those conversations saying, wait, wait, did you just confess your issue or their issue? Oftentimes, in confession, there is an indictment. Secondly, a a confession can introduce grief. This is a sort of a, a, a challenging dynamic with confession is that at the moment of confession, what is the relief of a burden for the one doing the confessing can become a new burden to the one receiving it. A friend in, well, yeah, I had a friend in high school. And as we were graduating, we're getting ready to leave, we're overseas, and uh, we'd probably never see each other again. And one of our other classmates, who I didn't know really well, felt the need to confess, and so he went to my friend and he said, I just need to confess this, I've never liked you. I've always felt that you were obnoxious and arrogant, and I just realized that after all these years, I needed to come out with it. Hey, enjoy your life. (laughs) You realize at the moment of confession, you can be beginning someone else's grief while ending your own. And so there's some sensitivity that is required. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons why we avoid confession. A confession can introduce a temptation. Jude, book of Jude, he talks about this in verse 4. He says, listen, I want you to deal with people carefully with sin. I want you to show mercy, show compassion. But he says, but there's some people that you need to deal, show them mercy, but handle them with fear, hating even the garment that is stained by immorality. In other words, tread carefully when you're navigating other people's sins, other people's temptations, other people's issues, so that you too are not tempted. And lastly, a confession can introduce unnecessary risk. And this is what I mean. Not everyone needs to know everything. And the Proverbs is full of warnings against giving information to fools, people who have no respect for dignity or integrity. They don't deserve your confession. In fact, there are some people that you should not confess to because they're untrustworthy. But David confesses, 
confesses to the Lord, he confesses to us. I offer these to you just as considerations to make as you think through your own obedience to the Lord. I felt confident I could trust Stephen Landau with my confession because he never spoke to anyone. I acknowledge my sin to you. My iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You forgave the guilt of my sin. God steps in with forgiveness. I think oftentimes we're uncomfortable with forgiveness as a necessary foundation for relationships. And yet that is the foundation of our relationship with the Lord. Now, it's not the only foundation, but it is one piece of the foundation that we began relationship with God on the foundation of forgiveness. You forgave the guilt of my sin, but forgiveness is not the end. Absolution, that is the removal of sin, is not the end goal of confession. There's something beyond that. We see this in Psalms 51, Psalms 51 beginning in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David, who has just confessed his sin, recognizes that what God wants is a pure heart, and I can't produce it. I can't make one. God, I need your help to produce in me what I cannot produce on my own strength, a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. So he says, God, I understand that you want a clean heart. I also understand that I have been unsuccessful in giving you a clean heart, but what I can give you is a repentant heart. What I can do is come before you and and confess my inability to produce a clean heart, and that's going to have to be a sufficient sacrifice because that's all I have to offer you. No amount of dead cows is going to make up for my insufficiency, so I'll give you what I do have. A broken and contrite heart. I will confess. Verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. There is a time frame for confession. You know that. There is a time frame. There is a cutoff point for confession. In the Old Testament, a flood of great waters is always uh, used uh, as an illustration of judgment. There is a point after which the time for confession has expired. The benefits of moving through confession are no longer available. So do it in the time that you have. David goes on, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Revelations 12.10 says that Satan accuses us to the Lord day and night. 
bringing accusations against us. And David says, and yet God has surrounded me with songs of deliverance. God has surrounded me with reminders that he is with me. He is for me, not against me. And here's God's heart. There's actually a switch in the voice of this psalm in verse 8. It's now God speaking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check, otherwise they will not come near to you. This is where God reveals his heart. He says, listen, the kind of relationship that I desire is one where we make eye contact, I say a few words, and you say, I got it. This is what I don't want. I don't want the kind of relationship where unless grabbed by the reins and jerked around, you refuse to walk in obedience, in relationship. I'm not interested in that kind of relationship. It's like the two-year-old, right? All we can do is just flick their hand and say, no, don't touch, don't touch, don't touch, don't touch, don't touch. That says, I'm not interested in that kind of relationship. Why is it that you wait until the point of exhaustion before you consider obedience, before you consider humility, before you consider confession? You were created with a free will so that you could choose to be in relationship. We now are living in the window of opportunity to choose to walk in open relationship with God in dependence upon him. Confession ultimately is an invitation to relationship. I want to invite the worship team up. If you're at that place where the hand of God has been heavy, maybe you're manifesting one or all of the symptoms of refusing confession, your relationship with God has suffered, vitality has been drained away. God's not after your confession. He's after relationship. And he has offered forgiveness as a pathway to relationship. And by refusing confession, we refuse forgiveness and refuse relationship. And God says, listen, it's not my interest, it's not my desire, it's not my heart to have to weigh heavily on you to get you to act in the best interest of relationship. I'm willing because I love you, because I'm your father. But I'm after a relationship where you make decisions of your own free will to walk in obedience to me. You know, if you're there, today could be the beginning of freedom for you. 
you can make that choice in obedience to the Lord. Today could be the day. David concludes, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. There it is, you righteous ones. The ones who have been made righteous. And shout for joy. There's the return of vitality. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. It's an invitation to relationship. It's an invitation to joy. Consider saying yes to the invitation. God will give you the strength. Would you stand? Uh, we have a couple of ways to respond. One is communion. There's a couple stations around the room. Uh, remember again that communion is the basis from which we have confidence that the Lord has not only removed my guilt, but his blood, his body in us is life in us. He has given us the gift of righteousness. Secondly, um, if you would like prayer for anything, for any reason, there'll be prayer team members over here. They would love to join with you uh, this morning and pray with you. Uh, you can give. They're offering receptacles along the back. And uh, we're going to take a few moments and worship together. Worship really together, corporately, is a time where our hearts are moved to say yes to the Lord. Let's come to Him. God, You are faithful. Your kindness is everlasting. Your love for us has never been anything less than perfect. And yet we not only wrestle with resistant hearts but we have developed explanations in our minds as to why we can't say yes to you I pray God that you would break through those things in whatever area we're wrestling that you would break through those barriers that your spirit in us would compel us to say yes to you you're so worth it I pray this in Jesus name So there's a lot to think about, a lot to think through when, it's, uh, when you become aware of the need to confess to people. It is, uh, it is one of the costs of our own sin, right? And it is also that process of thinking through, how do I do this? What do I do next? That is also the redemption of that sin. It is an opportunity for the Lord to reveal to us the cost uh, in fresh ways and to move us into new, new freedom. However, when we confess to the Lord, the instruction clearly given us in Scripture is when you confess to the Lord, go boldly into the presence of the King, right? That He is waiting for you to do that before Him. That He has made every provision for you to be made white as snow before Him once again. Isn't that good news? That's right. Yeah. And I would say, uh, I would just remind you that, as Aaron has already said, that 
One of the foundations of our relationship with the Lord is forgiveness. That's how our relationship began. And you will know that you believe the gospel, that you are dependent upon Jesus' blood, when even as you confess your sin, you are asking the Lord to bless you, right? You are asking the Lord, now restore your presence to me. Give me again the joy of the Holy Spirit, and let's move on from a past that was dark and dirty. Let's move into a a future that is abundant and full of light and life, right? Thank you. I just had to have my turn, too. (laughs) Thanks. Well, often on holiday weekends, uh, there are uh, different house churches take a break, and so check with your house church leader before, uh, before heading out of, to their place. Uh, there's still prayer available for you. There's sign-ups, intentional, different things. Uh, and then also, I just would say that there, uh, if you can hang out and help us tear down, we always appreciate that as well. All right. Well, the Lord bless you. Enjoy your freedom. You're dismissed. <laughs>